Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our guest today is the great Greg Carlwood, the mind and voice behind the Higher Side Chats, better known as THC. If you've ever heard THC, you know from the show intros alone that Greg does his homework, and as a result, THC is the gold standard in podcasts. Each episode is like a college seminar. If college professors are actually there to figure stuff out and explain it to you, that is. But with the added bonus that Greg skillfully directs the conversation to the place where listener and expert can meet. Usually the host, rarely the guest. It is a true privilege to have Greg on the Propaganda Report to talk about this turning point in history, which I call the Corona Times. Thanks for being here, Greg. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Way too kind. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing that. for the, the master of intros. I had to do a little something, but you can really tell. I mean, it's, it's you synthesize the main gist. You kind of put the punchline up front for your shows, and that's just, I think, makes a huge difference to help people follow along for some of the subjects that you get so deep on. But normally you're doing the uh, the probing, but I have noticed, and people have clamored for uh, us to have you on, that you're kind of a COVID skeptic like I am. And I just, I, you know, I have some he's basic a denier. questions. He's a denier. I don't know if he's a denier. He's a little, he's a circumspect when it comes to that, but maybe you're a COVID denier. I'm a little bit of a denier, but I'm, I'm, I've been deplatformed several times already. So I try not to get uh, too overt. I barely even, you know, they Twitter. I feel like it's only a matter of time, honestly. Mm -hmm. so, yes. <laughs> so I, I wanted to know. It. Yeah. What? Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say I, I saw what you had told me a little bit about with the the CDC not liking your broadcasts, and that's pretty crazy to be located right there and having them looking out. You know, any organization that's doing somewhat nefarious stuff has a huge PR side where they go and they shut down dissenting voices. A good case would be Scientology. You know, it's really it shouldn't seem that scary to call out Scientology, but it actually is one of the riskier shows that a podcast can do because they are so organized with making trouble for people who speak ill of them. And the CDC How did Similarly. Yeah. Interesting. How did Leah Remini get that? She put a show on TV, like on A&E against Scientology. And I was shocked that she got away with that. It's true. Yeah. And that's the one kind of case example I can think of. Most people don't touch it. Even when Joe Rogan had on uh, Miss Cavage's father, and also I think he had Leah Remini on, he was convinced to uh, read a statement from Scientology before the interview started. And I've never heard wow. him do that before. And it's just like, you you kind of, you get intimidated a little bit when someone reaches out and says, hey, I hear you're going to do a show on us. You better read this statement or we're going to bring down the hammer of the law on you. No one wants that. We're just podcasters. Yeah, they must have an army of lawyers and they can bankrupt you even if you're right and even if you win. Mm-hmm. That's true. That so, makes yeah, me want to go after yeah. him now. <laughs> to go for it. Good luck. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had that show for eight and a half years, and I really, it was a no-holds-barred show. People were surprised that it was on terrestrial radio. And the one time in my past where I had, my boss said to me, he didn't care at that time, but he said that in all of the crazy, what he called crazy stuff I said on the air, the only time that he got really uh, just an avalanche of negative emails take her off the air is when I said I questioned 
whether or not I should have gotten my kids the chickenpox vaccine, which I had gotten them. But I just questioned it because later they said, you know, it doesn't last for life. And I was like, it wasn't fatal. Like maybe I made a mistake. And that was the thing. And that's when I realized it was a kind of concerted effort. Now, they didn't, nobody told me what happened when I started talking about Event 201 in February. But it was, I absolutely targeted the CDC directly. And by the end of the month, they just said, we are taking your show off the air with no explanation at all. So I have to assume that that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but I, but I wondered wow. what, what opened your eyes about, like, what was your kind of aha moment for the this particular thing, the coronavirus? Like, what is it that's your convincer? Because people will say, like, I listened to your, I fell asleep listening to it, but I listened to the first half of the Dell Big Tree show that you just dropped yesterday and he obviously probably for the same reasons that you were saying joe rogan would read that statement i don't know i don't want to put words in his mouth but he was saying you know he acknowledges that there is this unique illness and i i mean i'm not even convinced of that but beyond that you know all told what kind of convinced you that this was like not nothing to be afraid of health-wise anyway Well, I guess something that kind of cracked that door open, and it's still like slippery language to me, but if I try to reverse engineer how I could be open to such a thing, it probably comes from looking into the occult worldview, which is, I know, pretty strange, but just the idea that the material world isn't all we have and that spirit or consciousness actually informs matter. And so... A lot of things can kind of emerge into the physical that don't necessarily start there. And that's probably what cracked the door open for me to look at medicine and germ theory as in outside of these these kind of militaristic terms they use. We have invaders, you know, it's a war out there. We got to stop them. And, you know, Rockefeller medicine is only 110, 120 years old. So. Before that, it was all herbology, it was all diet, uh, Ayurvedic medicine. There were a lot of different things that people knew about that were contributing to solid health way before that came around. And then Rockefeller showed up and it's all just, well, we need to make a petrochemical for everything that we can patent. And if we can't fix it with that, we'll try to cut something out of you. And if you can't do it with that, then you're just going to die. Like it really isn't the best effective medicine, but they've had a real serious PR campaign against all the other methods because it's a business to them. So they've destroyed homeopathy to the point that people think it's ridiculous now and they don't really know about the communal properties of water and water memory. And so that's just like one of the things. But once I started looking into people like, well, once this virus thing started, then it became like very real. Like, okay, now we need to unpack this because I don't trust the World Health Organization. I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust Bill Gates and the vaccine propaganda stuff. So I found Dr. Thomas Cowan, who was talking about Rudolf Steiner, who Steiner was an occultist. He was one of these kind of bright mind Renaissance men, kind of like a Nikola Tesla of his field, which would be kind of medicine, health and wellness, occult, not really a doctor necessarily, but kind of a, he's in that paradigm as Tesla was in the scientific paradigm. And it was Steiner's idea, I guess, that he said viruses are secretions of damaged cells. They're not 
the cause of anything. They're not some invader that got you. They, you, We look under the microscope when someone's ill and we see these things and we think, oh, well, that's what it was. Well, not necessarily. Everyone doesn't think that. And there are other people as well. David Crow, uh, Dr. Shiva's out there making a lot of waves. The guy who invented email. Yes, He's I've seen his, his circuit. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just started to learn that even though we take the the medical paradigm for granted, number one, it isn't that old. Number two, I don't trust the people who are at the head of it. And number three, there is a legacy of people challenging it all the way through that are just suppressed. And then you find that and you're like, wow, I guess this isn't as ironclad as I thought it was. And then you put it in the context of this current virus and you start looking at the data with a skeptical eye and you realize there isn't really a lot of reason to be afraid. And I, I know maybe that sounds so crazy to hear. And I've got friends who say they know someone three times yes. removed. What but... is that? How do you deal with that? I have people tell me that all the time. And I, you know, I'm just like, what are the details of this person? Did the person just panic? Like what mm -hmm. happened there? And how do you deal with it? How have you, is there any like wall that you've hit with that? Like, oh my gosh, this is a real case. That guy was like normal yesterday and just dropped dead on the street. Well, that's the thing. I haven't seen any of that. The only person I know who went to the hospital had a panic attack. And so they spent the night in the hospital because of that. And I don't know anyone who's sick. I know people who say they know people who are sick and who maybe have died. And I'm sure they have. Like, people do die. The flu is still out there. The, like, pneumonia is still out there. Those things kill a lot of elderly people all the time. If you look at the data from Italy, 99% of people had other conditions. Well, what's that about? 99%? Yeah, with a place where it's just like Wuhan, where like these, they have a population of old people who smoked their whole lives. I mean, yeah. they're going to have respiratory problems. And That's what happened with pollution. the H1N1 like 10 years ago. They said the numbers were huge, and Cheryl Atkinson did this investigation afterwards, and it turned out that a lot of the cases they, that they said were H1N1 turned out like almost none of them actually had the disease. And Monica, you brought up yesterday the term psychosomatic symptoms, where uh, as someone who's OCD and has been a hypochondriac... You actually get ill. You actually can make yourself yes, sick. It's you not even like imaginary. Yeah. You get an ulcer or cold sore or whatever because you're stressed out, which right. is why the I wanted to add, effect. Greg. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to add to your three T's, which I want you to tell us about. Uh -huh. I wanted to add terror. Terror oh, yeah, is the fourth yeah. T. That is, to me, like the thing that is actually creating the problem. That that's the the net the germ in the person that makes them susceptible to what they call. I don't know if you. I've just learned this term, iatrogenic disease, which accounts for like twenty five percent of all disease. It's when you're sick because of the medical treatment. Oh yeah, well definitely that's yeah. uh, an element that we need to look into. But it was Dr. Andrew Kaufman who I recently interviewed who made me. Think about contagiousness in a new way. Now, I don't know if this accounts for everything, but we have to acknowledge that there are biological functions that if we see someone do them, we do them too. And is that contagious? It sure looks and functions like contagiousness, but yawning is a great example. Totally. If you see someone yawn, you will probably do the same. Now, we wouldn't say that a virus jumped from them to you, <laughs> but there is something about seeing something happen. And also the placebo effect, it works both ways. If someone tells you you're healed because of a sugar pill, pill you will sometimes be healed. And 
you could say the same thing. If someone tells you there's a deadly virus out there and everybody's dropping like flies, if you tell a million people that, well, maybe 0.5% of them will manifest those symptoms. There's things out there about the, just the, I think it's because of the connection between all of us that we don't really acknowledge all that much, but it is there in the background. And so things can spread technically from one person to another without it being a germ. And I know that's strange, but I think when you look at how many people are paying attention to the media on a daily basis during this whole thing, you also have a situation where someone who gets a mild flu Normally, they would just be like, oh, shit, I'm sick. I guess I'm going to camp out for a week and then get better. But in this climate, they're going to the hospital because now they're afraid they got this thing. So there's definitely a lot of psychological terror going on. And that's a good addition to the list. I've kind of been trying to unpack the data and putting it in the categories of, well, how do we have these huge numbers? If germ theory isn't necessarily the way it's presented to us. And there isn't a virus that can make us sick. How do we account for these massive numbers? And I've been putting them in these three T categories, but the testing is first. First off, what are they testing? They've already told us the test can be up to 80% inaccurate. <laughs> and the test is a non-binary test. And that's kind of important because we think of it like a pregnancy test. You are or you aren't. It's right, red right. or it's blue. That is not the case with this test. It is similar to what they did with SARS, which I've learned about this from David Crow. It's you're taking genetic material and you're rotating it a bunch of times until you can and magnifying it until you can get enough of a sample to get a reading. So imagine that we're 60 revolutions in this machine they have. If they want to create an outbreak, let's say like SARS, this is basically what David Crow said they did in the past and coronavirus, SARS is a coronavirus, as is this thing. If they want to make it look like there's an increase in cases, they just revolve it 60 times. If they want to make it look like it's uh, going down, well, then you just direct all the hospitals to instead change the test to 40 revolutions. And now there's a lot of tests that aren't going to get and collect enough genetic material to get that reading, to get to, into that positive category. But again, the non-binary thing is important because it's a, it's kind of subjective. If you've ever checked the pH level of water, you have to take the reading and put it along the spectrum of the gauge. That's subjective as well. So for people who want to worship science, it's like a lot of this isn't super scientific. A lot of it is a little subjective when you get into the details. And so testing is the first one. And then treatment, I have to of say, course. can I just say about the testing sure. is that it seems to me there, there is possibly no correlation at all with symptoms. Yeah. So that, that you know, that's they, true. you know what I mean? So like my husband, this is funny. Cause like, he's totally is like afraid of it. He knows people who knows people and all that kind of stuff. And people are sick. And, uh, and he was like, um, I'm sick. And, uh, and so he took his temperature and then he got sick and I was like, okay, did you clean the thermometer before you took your temperature? Hmm. And, uh, so like, I'm just thinking like the fear actually promoted what might have been like a real illness. It was like, I just, I want to go get a test. Like I'm nervous. I don't want, you know, if they open up the gates again, I don't want to be out there unless, you know, I know I'm negative. So he went and got the test and I said, look, and we waited five days for the results. So I said, look, if that test comes back negative, you have to acknowledge that you think you have this thing. 
And a lot of other people think so too. And you would have like potentially gone to the hospital for this thing. And they, they do presumptive positives and stuff. So I'm, I'm considering believing in this thing. If you have these symptoms and then you have a positive test, but if you have a negative test, that's really all bets are off. And the test came back negative. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so you're one person who actually has symptoms and the test came back negative. And then there's all these people who have no symptoms and the test comes back positive. I just anecdotally, it seems like there's no correlation. Binkley, have you had the same experience? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't help that they keep adding new symptoms to it just about every day. It's your toes, your hands, if your head hurts, if you you search coronavirus symptoms online, that's a symptom of coronavirus. Everything is a symptom of coronavirus. And when people go into the hospital and they get these presumptive positives and the default method of treating them as it was before was to just go ahead and intubate them, then that causes a pneumonia in a lot of people and ultimately could be the result that kills a lot of people, yet it ends up being classified as COVID death. It's just, it's madness what they're doing. And when they expand the symptoms, this is something that I think is crazy. It's like, you know, you're, you're constantly feeling things that you just ignore because we're human beings like we have nerve endings everywhere so like if somebody says to you like if the tip of your nose is itchy you have coronavirus and you're just like holy shit like the tip of my nose is itchy like i just oh my gosh i've never experienced that before (laughs) (laughs) like you can't taste anything it's like i can't taste anything it's like oh my gosh you know it could be bad cooking for all he knows yeah i mean i i actually that's why i look at i want whenever i hear a story i want someone to tell me all the details of this person and how this happened and how it unfolded because I just feel like that the, some of the things that you are talking about, Greg, has can account for all of it. Binkley, did you have one last I thing? It just reminded me there's a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza convinces <laughs> himself that he has a heart attack. Oh, and that That yeah, reminds perfect. me of what you're saying here. It's so true. Yeah. yeah, that's real. Yeah, so, I mean, you also hit on the other two things, which are, so there's the testing, the treatment, and the trading of other illnesses. The treatment, of course, we know that these harsh drugs are being used on our oldest and sickest people. When you have these people dying and they're over 80 years old, well, the hospital's in panic mode. So they're like throwing everything they got at these people. And sometimes those things are quite harsh. And if they have previous medical conditions or high blood pressure, these malaria drugs can definitely kill them. So when a person dies from a malaria drug that they were given because they have COVID-19, How is that death recorded? It's definitely not recorded as malpractice. It's definitely Mm -hmm. not recorded as a a complication of treatment. It's like, oh, COVID got them. Mark it down. (laughs) And like you said, the trading of other illnesses is a big one too. People who are just having flu and pneumonia are being marked as COVID. And the, the CDC directed them. They, you can uh, read the language in some of the documents they've sent out because everyone's just following orders because everyone's afraid to be sued. No hospital is doing anything radical because you have to follow the CDC and who directly. Otherwise, you open yourself to a lawsuit if someone gets hurt. But everyone thinks that the CDC and who are infallible. So if you did what they say, then there's no case for a lawsuit. But they're telling people, just mark it down. Here's the code. Use this code. And you can also see a correlation in a huge spike in cases right after they gave hospitals the code. Well, that makes sense because they've got this new disease and all these people getting sick and they don't know the records aren't being kept correctly because they haven't given them a code yet because this is the procedure. So you give them the code and now all of a sudden there's an extra 100,000 cases because people are marking it down, filing it and recording it. 
And for the people who worship science, it is a, a fundamentally flawed approach to change rules. Like you can't change parameters. You can't change right. the experiment. You have to have controls. You have to have apples to apples. You have, I mean, those parameters are so specific that those alone, any one of those alone could account, could, does actually nullify the results. Yeah, I want to see precision. If we're going to worship the altar of si of science, then there should be very specific protocols and procedures and data that does not change. But if you start looking at this thing, it's all very flexible and it can suit certain agendas and it's uh, a little creepy. But and, I, yeah. I know it's really crazy to doubt virus theory and germ theory mm -hmm. overall because we can all think of examples where we yes. got sick and I know, you know, this is kind of a new rabbit hole for me. I went in hard and fast because I kind of had to, although I've always been skeptical of big pharma's medicine and vaccines, but it's only one degree different to look at it like maybe this whole thing, because you need germ theory to validate the vaccine agenda, which has been making billions of dollars for a long, long time and the medicine too. So I would just urge people to read a book or two about it with an open mind. Virus Mania is a really good book. And Goodbye Germ Theory is not quite as good because the doctor wanted to throw in a 9-11 chapter and stuff. And I just think about <laughs> it from the perspective of like, that doesn't bother me. But if I'm trying to introduce someone to this, I right. need it to be very precise. And you don't need a 9-11 chapter in that book. So I would probably say Virus Mania is a better one. But I also wanted to mention you, you had said the symptom of not being able to taste or smell. Well, that's a very specific thing. And the only other time that that has really been recorded in mass, from what I understand, is from the USSR when they started changing their electrical environment. There is something about changing the electrification <laughs> of your environment of a large group of people. Some of them start to have this specific effect. I don't know why, but it's a little bit of fuel for the fire of those people who think this is 5G damage. I don't really think that that can account for everything that's going on. I think it might be a component, but it's also a really, I don't know, conspiracy people can really jump from one chain to another and make leaps yeah. that really haven't been verified. I, and so I'm still waiting for that to be fully verified. But the I smell taste think, thing is interesting. Yeah, I do think that they're th that part of the way I call it taint agent, like part of the way they take something valid that needs to be answered and neutralize that is by tainting it with something that's ridiculous or bombastic or putting 9-11 in there. The 5G thing, like Eventua 1, if you looked into it at all, was the live simulation of the novel coronavirus from October of mm -hmm. Bill Gates. And, you know, okay. So they part, a big part of how they justified media suppression was conspiracy theories. And they, so they promote that thing of the Wuhan bioweapon. But I was already familiar with David Crow stuff. So, like, I didn't think for one second the Wuhan bioweapon thing was anything more than that's why the Drown Zero was decided to be in Wuhan because they could have a conspiracy theory around it. Mm -hmm. But, but the 5G thing, the uh, the one thing I did think was possible with the 5G is I first of all I ha I, I kind of asked people to tweet pictures at, at me while we're all in lockdown if they see people 
that uh, utility trucks putting 5G equipment up kind of on schools or any place where, you know, you, it would really be noticed except for that everybody's indoors. And they did want to have a 90-day rollout of that from what I was reading, like a protocol from the FCC to my town. They, they said, you have a 90-day shot clock. You can't say no. And I thought it's possible that in the future, if there is a kind of systemic reaction a weirdness they might say you know this is a pro, you know a, a latent symptom of the coronavirus there was such widespread exposure you don't even know if you're exposed and you know they just make stuff up and pile it in and and it seems to me like a lot of this virus stuff has been a cover-up like david crow was saying about like the fruit pesticides was like where polio came from yes and yes. you know they they use it as a cover-up so it might just they might just do stuff like this to kind of get ahead of things that may happen and then they get to win even though they're the problem absolutely and Dr. Thomas Cohen, or I always say Cohen, it's Cowan, actually, but um, Dr. Thomas Cowan, he presented this example that I thought was really smart. So he's like, imagine you are someone who is a dolphin expert and the dolphins off the coast of Florida are getting sick in mass and they want to bring you in as an expert and you really only have one question you can ask. Would you ask to see the genetics of these dolphins? Would you ask if a virus has been going through this pod of dolphins? Or would you ask, did someone put some shit in the water? <laughs> you know, because that's what makes things sick in mass. And I think it's the same with our environment, like Wuhan being very polluted. I also read that the area of Italy is actually a giant, uh, it's kind of like uh, um a valley. And so the pollution, the smog, it really sits over that area where people were getting the most sick. And I do think this society makes us largely weak and sick already. A lot of us are on that tipping point of we just need one more toxin introduced to our I environment. I did see, speaking of one more toxin, I did see a headline just flashed past. I was not able to uh, verify it, but that said that in that region in Italy, they had had maybe a meningitis outbreak or something like that. I went around and vaccinated people at that time. And that, right. that, you know, so, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it's plausible. So that's when I started saying, look, if you're going to do things when they start taking our... They start infringing upon our rights and going beyond like the legal boundaries that they're allowed to based on this thing that is terrorizing people. And I always say like we have emerged like our law, our society, our civilization, whatever has emerged as we are biological beings living together. I mean, all of this stuff is definitely part of the system that gave rise to what we consider to be our fundamental rights. But when they take them away, it's really the obligation is on them to prove unequivocally that what they're saying is the problem is the problem. And that is actually what I think the problem is, is that people, we act like we're so, or they, you know, you're criticized for not worshiping the God of science because that means you're irrational. But mm -hmm. this is extremely irrational. And I just wonder, you know, it, it, it makes me worry about the, about the capacity of human beings to continue to kind of self-govern or be independent. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm worried on a, like a metaphysical level. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that concern. And a lot of the guys I've been following on this, they saw an agenda in previous rounds of this kind of thing. Like David Crow, as you know, was looking at SARS. He's like, hey, all this data doesn't add up. So then when coronavirus hit, he was quicker on the draw because he's seen this before. John Rappaport, another great journalist in the medical space, 
he saw flaws with the HIV AIDS thing. And this is true for a lot of these guys. That's what woke up many of these people is looking at that data and seeing huge My brother problems. died of AZT poisoning. He was asymptomatic. Mm. He was an IV drug user. He went and got an AIDS test because my sister had a baby and she was worried. So he got this AIDS test. It came back positive. He had no symptoms whatsoever and he was quitting heroin. So they started giving him AZT and he started getting sick and sicker and sicker. And he said, it's the medicine. It's not me. And my mom thought that. She's like real old Irish lady who just always thought that medicine was a scam, like a, a money thing, like snake oil. So she like mm -hmm. doesn't go to the doctor. And I and then I never even thought twice about it. And then I came to believe him that he died of AZT poisoning. So and then Fauci was one of the people who encouraged the uh, the widespread use of AZT. I mean, to use it on someone who is asymptomatic is, I mean, really criminal, in my opinion. To use it I at agree. all, but that was killed him. It killed him. And then I, you know, that's the flip side of like my metaphysical concerns is that if that's the right word for it, is that they're evil. Fauci yes. also used fear squads to get people into using those drugs. Like he had to go get an AIDS test. Well, if my yeah. brother hadn't gotten an AIDS test, he would be alive. Doctor Drew was yeah. on one of the fear squads. Really, Doctor Drew? Yeah, because he's well, playing a little bit of a dialectical role now. Yeah, exactly. He seems to be the one getting chastised for saying the virus isn't so bad, but maybe he had to turn tail. I think he did. He's backed off a little bit on that lately since he got such backlash almost like Fauci or you know somebody gave him a call told him to lighten up a little bit another thing people should think about is how vaccines are not that old and man has been alive for a long long time and we've developed natural immunities and herd immunity is often talked about in the context of vaccines but it should be talked about in the more natural yeah it's context. the opposite i yeah. know i told i always i used to have to puzzle over that it's like what do you mean how does the herd get immune if you actually have to go out and get this artificial then anybody who doesn't have it doesn't have that immunity right and another point about the poisoning of a large group of people or the idea that it's not a virus making people sick it's generally a corporate industrial toxin being injected into their environment somehow that's something that uh, Dr. Kaufman brought up that the reason in the same way that yawning is contagious, when your body, your immune system starts trying to get this toxin out of your body by producing a bunch of snot and coughing, this is your body trying to expel this waste the same way you do on a daily basis on a you know more human scale. Your body gets rid of its waste. And so the, your cells are trying to do that. And in the same way yawning can be contagious, these symptoms can be somewhat contagious because you're communicating them to other people in your environment that something's not right here. And so it triggers their immune response, even though they don't necessarily have the thing that you have or, you know, they're not uh, toxified to the same degree. And it spreads that way because it's communicative. The same way when people cut their grass and oh, everybody loves interesting. that grass smell. It's, a, it's not necessarily infectious. It's communicative. Yeah. You know, it communicates. It it's a, it's a your, your body producing a warning, and this yeah, is just yeah, a, yeah. a particular theory. And of and what course, about the you, grass? Sorry. <laughs> oh well, when you when, you know everybody likes the smell of cut grass. What that is is the grass excreting a chemical that is a warning to other plants in the area that something bad is happening right now. Like you know we're being damaged, <laughs> and, and plants communicate in that same way. And so you don't like that, Binkley? No, it's just so it 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 sounds like. Everybody loves the smell of death. 
If we love the smell of grass. Well, we do. I mean, some flowers, some flowers smell like rotting bodies because that attracts the bugs that they want. That's true. Yeah. Damn. Well, you know, another thing I was going to say. So if you, if questioning virus theory and germ theory overall is a bridge too far and you want to go with someone more like Adele Bigtree, who it, you know, still has the same, comes to the same conclusions about this virus as you or I would. There's other things out there in terms of looking at natural immunity versus vaccines that is really interesting. Like he is the one who brought to my attention that it seems as if, if you get measles naturally, you're guarded against a range of things, including some cancers. You can't find, apparently you can't find people who've gotten certain types of cancers that have also had the measles. It just doesn't happen. And this is also something I was going to read because it's pretty important. And it came from a study done in the military with specifically the influenza vaccine. And it says, this is the, this is influenza vaccine and respiratory virus interference among department of defense personnel during the 2017, 2018 influenza season. It says, while flu vaccination offers protection from influenza, natural influenza infection might reduce the risk of non-influenza respiratory viruses by providing non-specific immunity against these viruses. On the other hand, recently published studies have described the phenomenon of vaccine-associated vaccine inter- or vaccine-associated virus interference, that is vaccinated individuals may be at increased risk for other respiratory viruses because they do not receive the non-specific immunity associated with I natural think- infection. That's what Dell, a couple of things on that. One is I feel like that's what Dell was kind of saying about the coronavirus vaccine is that it could literally backfire. And if you're interested, Dr. Shiva talks about how the innate um, acquired immune, the innate immune system will have a broader spectrum than the acquired immune system, which is what the vaccines target. So you do have like a group of immunities. And on the measles thing, I read an article a long time ago by Dr. Donald Miller. I think it was on LouRockwell.com, something like that. And I never heard anyone else talk about it, but what he he said he was talking about measles parties and he said that childhood fevers help develop the secondary immune system which is what your body uses to suppress cancer he was the only, it was the only time i ever saw the connection i didn't know it was he didn't talk specifically about measles he said childhood fever so i actually let my kids have fevers because mm-hmm. i've heard that that is a better for your immune system well, but circle uh, back around to yeah the del stuff the corona the uh-huh. um vaccine stuff that can backfire Yeah, I mean, I think there's two ways in which the vaccines really kind of set us back. One is we don't build that natural immunity to a range of things when our body encounters one thing. That doesn't happen because vaccines are too specific and on the nose. And there's data that shows that in Italy, most people had a flu vaccine. You know, how do we know what that range of how bad this hits you really is derived by? Is it you know, have we correlated that data with people who got flu vaccines? Are they the no ones way. who are 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 having this hit them 10 times harder? I don't know that, but we should probably look at that. And the other issue is that vaccines contain heavy metals. And the people who are affected most by changes in the electrical environment, cell phones, Wi-Fi, are people who have heavy metals in their body. That's also the one of the leading Alzheimer's researchers yeah. can't he, he looked and said, if you don't have encounters with aluminum and heavy metals, you don't get Alzheimer's. All these people have a high amounts of aluminum in their brain. Well, aluminum is in vaccines. 
So these are two ways I think vaccines are bad for us. They don't give us that wider range of immunities and they make illnesses worse when we get ones that are kind of adjacent. And then the heavy metals make us more susceptible to the electromagnetic radiation and all the, uh, you know, the issues that come with our technocracy today. Yeah. And also they hurt your memory. The thing with the metals, uh, I'm a little worried now because a couple of months ago, like on the same day, I got two videos. One was Dr. Shiva talking about how the adjuvants, which is the aluminum, used to be mercury, is the thing that people can be super sensitive to because it like kind of uh, hyper stimulates the acquired immune system. And that's when it starts messing with people's gut biomes and can lead to autism and all that. And at the same time, I got a video from a World Health Organization organization vaccine safety summit from like the end of last year where they talked about like they're not really sure about the safety of adjuvants and I was like wow this is the kind of stuff that they called vaccine anti-vaxxers crazy for even talking about and here it is circulating and I began to worry that they were going to embrace the adjuvant fear in order to uh, usher in the gene edited vaccines, the vaccines that go right into your DNA. And that really worries me. I agree. I think the vaccine agenda is getting way more advanced and complex. And there's a lot of speculation about nanoparticles that can be switched on and off with 5G. And it gets to a pretty alarming level. And I try not to really go that far with it because I just don't know I know enough to say no one's going to be sticking me with needles or, you know, my offspring. I the, the only people I know who are huge vaccine advocates are ones who have not sat down and read an ingredient list of everything that's in there and have not read the warning on the inserts. Because just like all pharmaceutical stuff, there's a lot of warnings about side effects and all this stuff right on the packaging. But when you go to a, a doctor, he takes it out of the packaging, throws the packaging away and then injects your kid. And if you say, hey, wait a second, can I see that packaging? They're supposed to say yes, and they probably would. And if you read it, you're going to be very alarmed at the laundry list of side effects. Your kid could have a fever over 30 days long. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. And then not only that, but then the doctor's going to tell you, oh, these are side effects. They're just covering their ass legally, but they're rare. Well, what does rare mean exactly? Can we get precise about that? Am I putting my kid at a one out of a thousand risk of autism? Like, and what are we doing here? There's a lot of, of problems with that. In one time, I took some pills for nothing, not much. Um, I can't remember what it was for, but it like, made me dizzy. So I called the doctor and I said, just so you know, that thing makes me dizzy. And she said, that is an extra, almost unheard of side effect. So I really cannot attribute that to this pill. And I was like, well, every time I take the pill, I get dizzy. So she ignored it and did not report it because she kind of talked me out of insisting. She's like, you really want me to report that? I was like, I don't care what you do. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) And if they, you know, when they, when they negate what people say about autism, I mean, 
when people see that happen to their kids, like I like a more less and less believe in this, like this concept of mass hysteria. You know, the leaders of foreign countries are irrational and they would just blow you up. So we have to blow them up first. Or women parents who think that they see they they their kids got a vaccine and then all of a sudden became autistic are hysterical. You know, it's just right. mass hysteria doesn't doesn't isn't valid. But if you refuse to take it seriously and just take notes on it, write it down and submit it like you're supposed to, they're kind of like required to add those side effects to the kind of body. See, that's why I'm really afraid of the gene editing ones because this is stuff that hasn't been out in the world. When they put it out in the world, it's a disadvantage because it hurts people, but it's an advantage because you should be able to see what it actually does on a large scale pretty quickly unless it has very, very long-term side effects. But I feel like if they're not, if they're not listening to what people are saying, they are kind of controlling the information, maybe even inadvertently because they laugh, they mock, they dismiss, they do not refute. So they feel like, oh, another nut job. And then they don't write down anything that mom says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doctors used to ask their patients for information and then use that information to deduce what's wrong rather than just telling them what's wrong and you know whoever is giving them the best commission on the best pills is what they're given yeah well i I, it was funny that i was listening to that your show yesterday with dell because he he was talking about that stuff about how these vaccines the gene editing vaccines or that his greater fear was not so much the virus but that there would be a scientific mistake on a on a worldwide level and i just woke up this morning after listening to that yesterday and saw bill gates had said that we will make human history with this disease because the speed between identifying a disease and immunizing against it will be the fastest ever and when i thought about what i'd read about event 201 and the calls to action two things they said one is that they wanted to quickly get into the position to quickly produce population level vaccine supplies and they also wanted to be sure to be protected from legal liability and regulatory obstacles and that folded in with what you were talking to Dell about that this could be a a, a, a human race wide activity or, or action that has just devastating impact that there's nothing you can do about it binkley did you have you the same I like to remind people that Bill Gates has already tried to sterilize a species using a gene editing technique in his his uh, thing. I think it's in Africa where they're trying to eradicate mosquitoes with malaria and it failed. Yes, I think that his vaccines are meant to sterilize people because he's always claimed that his number one goal is to reduce the population. So I don't trust his vaccines at all. That was his goal with mosquitoes and it failed and he created super mosquitoes. I do think that's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. And there's a really dark history of using the third world or indigenous people for testing. Another interview I did was with Daniel Emerwar, and his book is called How to Hide an Empire. It's a history of the greater United States. So it's a history of Swan Islands, Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guantanamo Bay, Philippines, you know, all these Hawaii areas that the was, U.S. controlled. wasn't even a part of the U.S. when we got hit at Pearl Harbor. It wasn't even exactly. a state. Exactly. That was one of his big cases is they had to present it as part of the United States, even though the American people right. didn't really care. So they had to sell them on, no, they, they hit us because we're going to war now. So they hit us in Hawaii. And I know that you guys don't feel connected to Hawaii, but that's one of us and we're going to war. So they put know, a bunch but, of Americans there to get hit. Exactly. And 
So in this book, he talks about the history of vaccine testing in the Philippines, and it is dark, dark, dark. Yes, a lot of women damaged because they were working on, I think it was the HPV vaccine. They were trying to... Oh my gosh, uh, thank God I heard your story with those. I was really not inclined to do it anyway, but those two women who wrote the book about the Gardasil vaccine, that the adjuvants were in the control group. I mean, I just put my foot down with my, my... my pediatrician and he said you know people used to be afraid of werewolves too and i was like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> you know, like it, i know i, I was hate like that kind of stuff geez. yes like, i know i was like you're an idiot <laughs> right it's just drinking the kool-aid that's the thing is people like to pretend that they're smart because they defer to the experts yeah. that does not make they know who to trust smart right <laughs> right like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I am a bridge to people that I consider experts and on the outsides, on the margins of a lot of these disciplines, but they oftentimes are people who have the same qualifications as the person that you trust. They just think about it differently. So what does that mean? Do you trust someone with a PhD or not? Because you're thinking so simplistically that PhD equals trustworthy. Well, I can give you some PhDs that have a totally different look on this stuff. That's a great point. It's it, I think that exposes the idea that people default to the thing that they've been told their entire life. Right. Not to mention that these guys, they're... Their whole livelihood is based on plugging into that paradigm. I like to remind people, I learned this in law school, that medical malpractice, you can't get sued for doing what they tell you to do, even if you know you kill somebody with AZT. If that was the protocol, that you cannot get sued for. But if right. a person dies and you did not give them the AZT, that you can get sued for. Or even mm-hmm. if they don't die, you could probably get sued for it. So it's all about embracing the paradigm, the existing paradigm. And that is what gets gets yeah. people to have respect. So if you can read the the BS literature and then explain it to a bunch of people, you know, uh, we call them fart sniffers from that South Park mm-hmm. episode, like people who think that they're, they're so great, then that's how you get respect, even if you end up being wrong. Right. Yeah. It's true. very difficult to get doctors or hospitals to try new innovative therapies they're not allowed yeah like even if you find one that has worked and that has started to gain momentum because we we've tried their insurance will not allow it they yeah there's so much red tape and they everything works against getting them to try that new technique even if it's uh in a situation where it's almost a last last resort still and they won't explain it to you they will simply laugh at you i mean maybe they explain it to you but i have been laughed at so many times just for asking questions like what they literally i asked you know what i used to smoke and I asked, I used to smoke, I was down to like 10 cigarettes a day. And I asked the doctor if he had, I could not find a single um, study that connected serious long-term illness with smoking fewer than 10 cigarettes a day. So I asked him if he could provide that for me, because then I would stop smoking those too. And he actually got his little tape recorder out, laughed into it, what? laughed into it and said, patient request study connecting 10 cigarettes a day to illness and he started laughing i was like don't laugh at me just give me the study because it does yeah. not exist yeah the arrogance... i did completely quit though <laughs> the arrogance <laughs> is quite yeah. crazy and i think the more we can stay away from the conventional medical system the better 
we are. And it's unfortunate that some people already are damaged or they have fibromyalgia. They have conditions that don't allow them the luxury of keeping the medical system at bay. But cancer's been cured. There's been, well, I, I, let's say this. There's been at least a dozen things that have been able to cure various types of cancer, and they've all been suppressed in largely the same way. You can watch documentaries about it, the cancer conspiracy cover-up. There's many things you can watch, and they go over things like the Gerson Institute or SEACT. There's there's literally about a dozen, and they're all just natural things, er, herbs in the right combination that boost your natural immune system, putting healthy Cell water in your cells. That's one of the biggest, most important things. But Structured another... water. You turned me on to that, yes. too. You mentioned exactly. Royal Rife in your show the other day, too, which I love going down the Royal Rife rabbit hole yes. from time to time. Well, he's got that device as well as red light therapy, which is a proven thing, but the hospital's system has suppressed it because there's no money in turning and a red light And don't all these electronic people. devices emit blue light? Which I don't know if that's like literally the opposite of red light, but it makes (laughs) me nervous. Right. With Royal Rife, his thing, it's like it it shakes and vibrates the cells or something like that. And it kind of shakes the cancer to death. Frequency based. Yeah. I was reading a study from, I think it was Arizona State University or something. This is like from 2014 or 15. And it was talking about a potential cancer cure. And I'm reading this thing and, and they're just describing what Royal Rife did hundred years ago. Oh, yeah. Yes. I just saw a new thing like that. And they were just like, oh, we think we've cracked the code and it has to do with frequency. And I'm yeah. just like, I think Finkley told me about that. Like, <laughs> well, know, on that same ago. subject, uh, exosomes is a conversation they're having at the National Institute of Health. And some of the brightest minds in virology are looking at exosome theory, which is exactly what Rudolf Steiner said, said 100 years ago, that they're excretions from cells. And the reason why I brought up the occult so early, which is like always bad form to do, but it it's just it speaks to the idea that there are forces in our body. There are things that we can't see and manipulate with a scalpel and a petrochemical. And Rife knew that. You can't accept something like red light therapy or frequency-based healing if you don't understand there are systems of the body that can be affected by these things. So it is important to have the right context um, for understanding all this stuff. It seems to me that the uh, electricity and frequency and all of that as kind of the, we, we get plenty, 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 plenty on the invisible enemy of viruses, but on just invisible forces that we manipulate for technology or whatever, we never, I mean, there's a complete silence, it seems to me, certainly in the mainstream, of how we do interact with that stuff, what an impact it has on us. I mean, there's just nothing there. And I'm beginning to think that that is kind of the answer, the kind of next level of thinking to kind of get out of this this um, three-dimensional par- paradigm that they control completely, it seems like to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said. And uh, just another example I thought of, because we were talking so much about testing and how once you get the test you know, like your brother's situation, then you're in this system. If you test positive for something, you can't really deny the treatment they want to give you. It doesn't really work that way. But another example is there's a book out there called The Great Prostate Hoax. And the prostate uh, cancer situation is a great example of how this stuff works. Big Medicine had this test for the for PSAs. It's a, you know, just a secretion of your your prostate. It's some chemical that's made in that part of the body. And so they would test to see 
how much of it there is, similar to the coronavirus test, how much of this is there. And if you had enough to test, quote unquote, positive for prostate cancer, then you just go right into surgery and they cut that thing out of you. Well, they found out that the amount of PSAs that your prostate produces, it goes up, it goes down, it fluctuates all the time. It has literally nothing to do with needing to have your prostate cut out. And so there are, there's tens of thousands of men who have had this procedure done. And the only reason they go, they, they even had it done is because they went in for tests because it's all about regular screening. You're getting up there in age. You know, have you had the mm -hmm. uncomfortable situation where you got to get your prostate checked? You got to go in and do it. And you get sucked into that and you do it. And then, you know, you go in for a test. They say you have low blood, blood pressure. Now you're on this medication. Then this medication makes you susceptible to this other thing. Now you're on that medication. But if you feel fine, leave it all alone. Yeah, I, I have okay, very healthy skepticism of going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. My grandmother never went to the doctor ever, I think, in her life. Like her last baby was born in her house and she lived to 95. My mother's 91. She just does not believe in the doctors. My father is different from her. He got a surgery that he absolutely couldn't handle. The surgery is a success, but he died. And I was like, Mom, why'd you let him do that? He's like, he has free will. You know, you got to let people do what they're going to do. So I let, I let that happen. Happen, but I have a complete skepticism of it. And I've been thinking that one possible benefit of this kind of lockdown is, I mean, I'm not going near a doctor if my life depended on it right now. And I wonder if, and I call it like the doctor addiction or the healthcare habit, like any little thing, you just feel like I'm going to run to the doctor. He's going to give me a pill and I'm going to feel better or whatever. I can't take a day off from work or blah, blah, blah. And I feel like right now I haven't me, my kids, nothing wouldn't go near that. And maybe people will wake up to maybe revisit some home remedies and kind of rethink about it. Yeah, that conditions like, people too. This take a pill and get better conditions yes. people to that quick fix instead of the lifestyle change. Yes, so yes. It, it's like that UBI thing. They're sending everybody a check. I'm like, don't send them the checks. We need them out at the Capitol saying you have no right or stop manipulating the data or whatever. But it's like a payoff. It's a payoff to keep you going. But the funny thing about my mother is that she is super Irish, super cheap Irish. So she just doesn't she doesn't ever want to give anybody her money. So from the time I mean, she doesn't have much of it, she lives on social security. But when from the time I was little, she would say, they just, those doctors just want your money. You don't need those pills. You don't need this. They just want your money. And I was like, mom, you're ridiculous. And now I'm just, even if the doctors themselves aren't thinking that way, although as the years have passed, I've noticed more and more, like you cannot go into the doctors without them wanting to do something for you. I mean, I was completely fine, went to a new doctor. I don't even know why I felt I needed to go to a doctor, just have a relationship. She immediately recommended three vaccinations for me. You know, I'm like, I'm a, a, well into adulthood. I do not need a whooping cough vaccination, two shingles vaccinations. I'm like not even old enough to get a shingles vaccination. So they just want to do stuff all the time. And I mean, and, and I have found that like almost everything can be like going out in the sun, you know, this whole like sunscreen thing. I feel like it makes you just sicker going out in the sun, getting some exercise, micronutrients, that structured water really seems to um, cleanse the system. Oh, and I have a tip for you, but keep going. You guys mm -hmm. you have reactions. 
No, I'm I'm right there with you. The cell water thing is the most important thing. People don't necessarily realize it. I mentioned the cancer cures. Oh, the Gerson yeah. Institute. So interesting in that. Mm-hmm. The uh Dr. Gerson, I believe he's dead now, but there is still a Gerson Institute. It has some satellite office here in San Diego, but I believe it's mainly in Mexico because they can't really treat people in the United States. But essentially all they do at the Gerson Institute, I mean, you know, I'm sure they do a lot more, but they bring you in outside of your poisoned environment. They bring you to this retreat center. They probably don't have EMF going all over the place and they feed you a diet of healthy, organic fruit juice smoothies because when you break down fruit and vegetables to that level you get the 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 structured water from those fruits and vegetables goes into your body and it immediately boosts your structured water in your cells which is literally where the illnesses come from so it can be fixed with something that simple people say i don't believe it well ha- do you think it's easy in your life you have now to completely change your habits to just drink fruit smoothies for a week. Do you? Because I don't. Go ahead and try it. Now, if someone told you you had cancer and weren't going to die, would you be willing to do that? Or would you jump into chemotherapy, which is all carcinogenic, actually, if you look right. into it. So it is it is it is simple, but it's that lifestyle change aspect that people don't want to make. So I'm right there with you. It's It's like, it's just weird that people can't do it. Well, I wonder, actually, um, I want to tell you about something I don't know if you know about, although I probably heard it from your show, so I'm sure you know about it, but um, but I'm not sure if I heard it from your show. But I just a point on that is I had a friend, I had three people in my life who were diagnosed with stage four cancer all at once, and uh, they all used um, the chemo and radiation and stuff like that. Two of them died. And the oldest one, which can slow down cancer, but he he lived, he was given six months to live and it's been six years. Now his cancer is getting worse. He does do that stuff. But all he did, he switched to those fruit smoothies. I mean, like he really lived that thing, that lifestyle, um, or that's how he nourished himself. And it, he, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to make it, but he, it was amazing how much longer he lived having done that. But the thing I want to tell you about is, have you heard about this Nobel Prize winner, Yoshinori Osumi, who discovered that a three-day water-only fast totally reboots the immune system? Have you heard of this? Yes. Uh, oh, you have? Okay. researcher yeah. Gordon White actually brought that to my attention. Oh, he- that must have been him because <laughs> I loved that Gordon White interview. I thought to myself that I had to have heard this on the higher side chats, but I looked <laughs> into it myself and um, it, it just like, uh, I want to tell people that like if you're sick, because I can easily fast for 36 hours. I don't think I could do 72. <laughs> I've been considering a seven day fast because the more I've been reading about fasting, it's actually pretty phenomenal it's it's really interesting and it's also a big part of our history as that's uh, what i was thinking goes. how did people get three meals a day day in and day out for them and right. their entire families every freaking day i don't believe it <laughs> our bodies are constantly processing and not getting a chance to breathe and clean out so a three-day water fast is a great way to try to start a lot of the people who are into uh ketogenics have been getting onto this because intermittent fasting is a component of kind of the keto craze. And you just extend that a little bit. But the reason we got onto that for for context is because I was worried they were going to go door to door and make everyone take a COVID test. And the test is so goddamn inaccurate that I was like, so if I test positive, then what? Then I just have to start taking malaria drugs or get put on a ventilator or something. Like it could get to that scary level. Or now I can't get my own groceries because I have the 
the stamp of uh, a COVID infected right, right. person. Yeah, the, so the he, Scarlet C. Yeah, exactly. And he brought the that fasting up in the context of how could you beat a test? Because if the test is measuring something that is a secretion from toxic yes. cells, how do you get your cells to not be toxic? How do you lower your overall toxicity? And the number one way to do that is a three-day fast. Yeah, your, it your says body actually needs it. Autophagy, it's cells destroy viruses and bacteria and get rid of damaged structures. And it's a process that's critical for cell health renewal and survival. But I was wondering, so I'm worried, I have teenagers and I am worried about them not being able to work if they don't get the vax tat, you know, the vaccine tattoo. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered if in your um, research and people you've talked to, I mean, is there any way to kind of protect yourself from the damages of a, of a vaccine? I mean, if they force, they're, we're just, we've put ourselves in house arrest. I mean, the control over the population is, is virtually total at this point. Right. And I mean, she could live in the tunnels with me, but I think she wants <laughs> to like live in the world. She's not this far, you know, she's too young to realize that it's even worse than I tell her it is. So what can yes. you do? How can you protect yourself? Well, it's a very difficult thing because we're talking about a machine that has been planning this a long time. And if it gets to this level, it is a scary place to be. The best way to insulate yourself from the machine interfering with your life is to be more self-sufficient. There really isn't a, a better answer. Like if you want to engage with the system, you're going to have to do everything the system asks of you. And if that means getting a vaccine so that you can get a job at AT&T, then that's what it means. Like the best thing you can do is shore up your income and shore up your uh, the things you need to live and get them in a way yeah. that you control so that no one can right. step in and, and tell you you need a vaccine. No one's going to tell me I can't record a podcast unless I've gotten the vaccine. Um, right. You know, so. And I, just, and I am just, thinking this may I think this has definitely created a renewed interest in um, food autonomy. Yes. And that's really, that's what I've always said, even about my life before I had any wokeness whatsoever. I was like, mm. oh my gosh, like I keep the cave clean and my husband brings home the antelope. Like it's just <laughs> always been the same. Like, I don't know why, you know, why I'm so worried about everything. I got the dog to like, you know, <laughs> bark if somebody's at the door, like that's it. It's the exact same scene. So I could definitely revert to that. It's hard to convince kids who are so plugged into the matrix to do it. But I feel like there are some upsides in understanding the importance of autonomy. Maybe only 20% of the people it's even registering the rest of the people are like walking around CBS like oh my god your mask your mask is falling off you know and I'm like dude chill the fuck out right right so I don't know who's woke on that so um <laughs> Binkley did you have one more thing you good no I'm good all right I want to um so I just love the cancer stuff. I love the positivity. I love the higher side chats. I love the way it makes me feel like there is an individual component to how you how you view this stuff, how much control. Like I say, they have control, they have control. Like you have control. I love the topics that you bring. Um, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything that we left out? No, I think this has been a lot of fun. We covered all the basis of basis of what people are really most concerned about right now. It's just it's so sad for people who are young, people who are even into their 30s. It's like we got hit with 2008 right when we're trying to get our sea legs and now we're getting hit with this. And I just know so many people who were right on that cusp of taking a big step forward in their oh. life. 
that's and are no now, you yeah. know, getting two that's steps no back. coincidence that's no know. coincidence that's yeah. why i liked gordon white's story so much uh inter- your discussion with him so much because i have been waiting for 2008 2.0 the can kick and whatever and wondering how they were going to get out of taking responsibility for that and just as wages real wages were starting to go up just as people were starting to retire the they're wiped out small businesses jobs wages are going to go down those retirements went in half people sell at the bottom when you're retiring because you're just like oh my gosh like i can't take another minute so mm-hmm. yeah it's a devastating thing but people i think the first step that's why i wanted to add my t to your three t's is that the ah. first step is like you know the biggest enemy here nothing to fear but fear itself like that and even if it's true we are going to die and the people who are dying are people who are about to die you know, that's yes. what that's a big tell is that the kids aren't getting it. Every mother in the world would know this was BS if they said that they didn't carve out that for some completely inexplicable reason that just makes no sense whatsoever. The kids don't get it. What bullshit. Right. We do so many things that are unhealthy for us almost on a daily basis. We drive on the highway, which is very risky. We take risks. Life is risk. And you know, people only get really worked up when they're told to get worked up. So I would say really put this in the context of your whole life, the risks you're willing to take, the quality of life you want to have, your mental health, and let this be a lesson that you can't trust and depend on the systems that have always been there in your life. For 30 years, I could trust the grocery store system for the most part. And I think a lot of people are realizing, oh, man, um, if this was a little bit worse, maybe I couldn't depend on this. So shore up your game, your individual game, and that's pretty much the best thing you can do, even though it's a challenge when you're limited economically. I have a lot of empathy for people, but do some research on those that are outside of the box, because the mono narrative of the mainstream is very tightly controlled and it suppresses those voices. I mentioned that book, Virus Mania. Where would you hear about that? Is that guy going to get an interview on CNN? (laughs) No, he isn't. So you need to do your own research and don't trust the system. Big Pharma owns the media. What are all the commercials for? Trucks and pills. That's all they sell. So be very careful who you trust and what their incentives are. That is so true. I, I, I like the positivity. I totally agree. Hopefully, let's make lemonade out of this to the extent we can. So the people who choose, people who choose to learn the lessons that are, are and help themselves. I don't even know if I'm one of those people. I'm I'm plenty woke, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm I'm learning how to grow stuff. But uh, I hope I take that lesson. I love your show. I, it took me too long to become a plus member, uh-huh. but you put your life into this. I mean, it is it is really a privilege to have your kind of, the effort that you put into it. So it's well well worth it. I really really appreciate it. Binkley, do you have something to close with? What's your website? Where where can we find your work? It is thehiresidechats.com, and it's also a YouTube channel. Any podcast app that you subscribe to, it should be there. It's a play on uh, FDR's old fireside fireside chats, so it's just. Uh, but the initials know. are too awesome. Everything's yes. so great about it. it; really works. It was like a moment of genius. I'm sure when you came up with that, I love it. Yeah, very synergistic. It's the you know the holistic approach is the right approach with branding and health and everything in between. That's right. Okay, on that note, thanks so much, Greg. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. I hope someday to do it again, but under more pleasant circumstances. Cheers. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. 
You guys can check out our daily show at theprofitport.com. There you will find the Drive Time News Blast, articles, deep dives, interviews, lots of fun stuff. You can also find us on your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. And we do lots of extra content each week, and we do twice a month virtual parties that are very interactive and lots of fun for our patrons. That You can find us at patreon.com slash the propaganda report for five bucks a month less than 15 cents a day you can get access to that content we always happily accept more if you want to donate more to help the show continue to go to help produce the show thank you for listening and we will talk to y'all next time oh and you can find me on twitter under the twitter handle at freedom act radio and you can find monica monica perez show